0: Welcome to two peas on a pot. My name is Peyton and joining me as always and probably in a much more somber state is my brother Parker uh, how was your uh I don't know how are you coping? Let me just ask that first and foremost
1: uh You know, man, the day of, very frustrating. The day of, very frustrating. The next day, it's just, it's laughable at this point. It's just like, why would I expect anything else, you know? It's just classic. (laughs) Like, it's just classic Dallas Cowboys. I don't know why you would want it any other way, or not want it any other way, but I don't know why you would expect it to go any other way than the way it did.
0: Right, and before we get to that, we'll we'll get a little bit deeper into your uh 60 minutes of hell that you experienced on sunday but uh we're gonna go over some news that actually took place that we didn't get to cover earlier in the week a, a lot of which is relating to some head coaches um and some big changes coming in uh the game of football uh, we'll start with first at the college level really uh, the big news from this past week was that nick saban greatest college football coach of all time at the university of alabama has now retired and I, I don't really know that there's much else to say that hasn't already been said. I mean, we just wanted to touch on it. I know that the job at Alabama has already been filled by Kalen DeBoer, the coach who was at Washington, who just led them to a national title. But, I mean, do you have any thoughts uh, on Nick Saban and kind of what he's meant to you as a football fan?
1: Um, yeah, I have some thoughts on Nick Saban. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's it's a, a like a love-hate thing seeing him retire. And it's not because, I mean, so I love that he's retiring because he's so tough to play against, you know, notoriously. He's just hard to beat. And knowing that Texas is moving to the SEC, uh, we'll probably see Alabama. You know, we already see them decently often, but we would see them probably every year. I mean, it'd be a big TV game. So I'm glad that he's retiring so I don't have to go through that. But yet again, like I'm also kind of frustrated because – I feel like this was the time that Nick Saban was going to fall off and it's not because of he can't coach anymore. It's because of his, I think his biggest advantage as a college head coach has now gone away since NIL has came in. I don't think recruiting is as big of a deal anymore because there's going to be schools that can pay these guys a little bit more than others. And a lot of times the guys are just going to take the money. They're going to go where the money talks, you know? And yeah, to me, I feel like, I want to see Nick Saban struggle, like if that makes sense. Like me being a a, a fan of another team, I want to see Nick Saban struggle, just like there's a lot of people that want to see, okay, want to see the Cowboys struggle, want to see Tom Brady do bad. That's why you have your Brady haters when Brady was so good. Um, They wanted to see him do bad. And it's kind of like I was kind of hoping to see Nick Saban see what he would do with the NIL because I don't think Alabama has a chance. I, I mean, now that he's gone, they for sure don't have a chance next year in my eyes. Um, to create a whole new culture, a whole new offense, a whole new playbook, everything is going to have to change. It, it is what it is. He's an icon. He's obviously the greatest college coach of all time, uh, hands down, and did great things at Alabama.
0: Yeah, and, and to your point about the whole NIL thing, I think he just kind of realized that the game that he was fostered in and cultivated this this – Empire, if you will, this dynasty at the university of Alabama was built off of his ability to recruit and his ability to build a staff that knows how to recruit players and develop players. And that's not so much uh, as important as you stated, as it has been in the past. So I think that he just kind of saw the way that uh, the game is going to evolve into something that is not the same form of college football that we have known it. I think he just kind of saw that this was his time. And I think that really, I think, he did still kind of go out on top because I mean, even making the playoff in this day and age is a feat. And this is one of the worst Alabama teams that we've seen in a while. And he still made it to the playoff. He won the sec in his last year. I I mean, I, I, I can't necessarily knock him uh, for how he went out. No, I'm, uh, you know, in this, I'm not knocking him
1: at all. I think it was really smart by him to leave now, because if anything, now it's just, he's going to turn into what Bill Belichick's kind of done to himself. Right. You know, like Brady left. Yeah, yeah we can go into go ahead. We can go into the next one if you want. We can go and talk about it. Um, yeah, we
0: can we can move into Belichick right now. I mean, he also uh, ended up vacating the job in New England. He's not retiring necessarily. At least we don't think he is. He's probably going to end up coaching somewhere else. But um, it, it, I know that you have some thoughts on Belichick in the same way uh, as far as his success with a team where they cultivated a dynasty culture. And uh, what are your thoughts on this move for the New England Patriots and Belichick parting ways?
1: So I I think that Bill Belichick has kind of, he hasn't evolved with the game at all. He was re, he was a really good head coach, built great defenses. Um, Tom Brady is, you know, it's now being brought to question, is Tom Brady the reason for all those Super Bowls? You know, like is Tom Brady the reason why Bill Belichick was so good? And I, I do think it was a little bit of both. I think Bill Belichick was a good coach when the game was run dominant. I think as soon as the game went past dominant, I think that was all on Brady. All the wins they had at that point were on Brady because Brady was that good. And then now he doesn't have a past dominant quarterback, or not a past dominant quarterback, but he doesn't have Tom Brady and that great of a football mind playing his quarterback to where now I think he's struggling. Like, yeah, New England's had a good defense this year. That's no problem. The problem is, is that they can't get Mac, they can't figure out their quarterback situation. They have Mac Jones, who's supposed to be this great quarterback from Alabama that n- played for Nick Saban the same guy we're comparing Belichick to now and Belichick can't do anything with him. I mean, he's riding the bench now in year three. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's real tough to see. And I I really hope to God Belichick doesn't go to Dallas and I don't think he will. A lot of people are talking about it, but there's no way Jerry Jones and Bill Belichick will sit in the same room and come to a conclusion ever. So that, that just doesn't seem realistic to me, but yeah, Belichick's out, Wondering to see where, where he'll go and what he'll do. We'll see. Yeah,
0: I I would argue another like I I don't necessarily think that he's lost his coaching fastball yet. I I think where he really took a step back was as soon as some of the front office help that he had, uh, in the you know late odds and early 2010s kind of left and moved on to other organizations, and he was left to be the the you know the sole GM, uh, personality in the Patriots organization, where he was the one who was primarily, uh, you know, not scouting necessarily, but actually completing the drafts you you saw that in the last like you know six or seven years that the patriots drafts have just not been it at all granted there's been a couple of nice players in there but i mean when you think about it the the teams that were built before were built off of like you know offensive linemen that were good uh values maybe in like the middle rounds and, and things like that is the way that i see it i think that's really where belichick kind of got caught up in not because as a coach himself I think he is still a great coach I think it's just that he is a terrible GM in my opinion
1: well I'll go ahead and say this is that back then like you're saying oh they drafted so well back then but they got lucky with a seventh round pick you know it's now it hasn't really been seen before except for Brock Purdy that's doing it now but before that, never really been seen before. They they got lucky with a seventh-round pick and rode him for 20 years and won seven Super Bowls with a seventh-round pick. He was the – like, he was the reason that – I don't want to say he was the reason. He was a lot of the reason that they have those Super Bowls, and it was from a seventh-round pick. Like, you can say, oh, they sniped Tom Brady, but honestly, they kind of got lucky. And other than that, I can't really think, like, in my head, of a great draft pick they've had in the past it- – Seven. That's just like, wow, he, he's good, man. They drafted him and kept him for a while. Well, I would argue
0: that yeah. the great the great draft picks came at positions that are not ones that people typically care about. Like right. there there yeah. was there was a lot of, for instance, they they had the ability to draft a lot of solid rotational defensive linemen, a lot of linebackers, a lot of offensive linemen. See, typically, I mean, like the only ones that people can look at and recognize off the bat are going to be those. Gronk and, you know, even though it was short lived, like Aaron Hernandez, those type of picks because those are skilled players. Whereas like, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and name you all the offensive lineman picks that they had, but I can tell you that I know for a fact that that's where they were able, they were able to scout and find guys uh, that they were able to develop. And they had a good eye in, in those middle rounds of the draft, typically a lot of the players that they built their franchise on were a lot of the second to fourth round guys. Not necessarily all the seventh rounders. I mean, obviously Brady was a late round pick, but like that that wasn't where they their bread was buttered. It was mostly those day two, early day three picks where Belichick was really cooking for a while. But really, like I forget what the guy's name is, but there was a GM that was on board that then when I believe, I believe he went to Houston. There was a couple other guys that left. And as soon as those guys left, it really just fell off a cliff and they weren't starting to have that same success with those middle round picks. But moving on, we had a couple of other coaching moves that may or may not have been surprises. We had uh, Pete Carroll stepping down as the Seahawks head coach. He is now moving to a front office role. They will be looking for a new head coach for this next season and going forward. And another surprising uh, move was that the Tennessee Titans parted with Mike Rabel, who I I think many people agree that he is one of the better head coaches in the league. um, Despite the roster not being the best quality he's kind of had to make do with uh, not, not the best pieces to work with. And then I I guess I would ask you, uh, there's also been some Jim Harbaugh smoke that he's been interviewing for jobs. He, I believe met with the chargers. I'm sure he's going to meet with many other teams and because I know that you really only care about one coach, truly, and that's the coach of the Dallas Cowboys. I'm going to ask Mm -hmm. you because there is one candidate in specific for the Seattle job who is currently in Dallas, that being Dan Quinn. Uh, And then there are two guys on the open market, really three guys, if you include Belichick. So I, I would say that between the four of Belichick, Quinn, Vrabel and Harbaugh, if you had to pick one to be the Cowboys next head coach, considering that we think, uh, that Mike McCarthy is out of there. Who would you pick?
1: Um, if I had to pick one, I, I it'd be a toss-up for me between Vrabel and Harbaugh. Um, okay, I think that both of those coaches, um, I mean, they build good defenses and they run the football. And I really do think that, and, and and they they get creative passing the football too. I just, I you know, Vrabel didn't really have a lot of quarterback talent to work with. Like, yeah, you got Levis at the end there but he's been with Tannehill uh, most of his time in Tennessee. So for me, it's, it's hard to say, but those between those two, for sure. I mean, they, they both, I mean, Harbaugh knows how to win. You know, he's been to Super Bowls. he's been there. He just won a national championship with Michigan. I just don't think that's the way that Jerry's going to go, which is what scares me.
0: As far as the NFL news goes, that's really it. We're obviously going to talk about the wildcard games. The only NBA topic I really want to touch on is that, uh, John Morant, since we last uh, recorded, has had season-ending shoulder uh, surgery at this point. So he is out for the season. The Grizzlies are in a very weird place. They've not been able to really survive without him. Uh, so they, they are pretty much out of contention for a playoff spot in any capacity without him. Um, even though they do have Jaron Jackson, Desmond Bain, some, is Marcus Smart, they have some players. But really, John Morant is kind of the engine that makes that thing go. And they had him back for a little bit and we're playing well. And then now he's out for the season. So just, I don't know about you, but I, I think it might be something to watch out for to see if maybe some of the Grizzlies guys possibly get moved uh, in some capacity, or if they just kind of stay the course and keep everybody intact for next year when jaw is healthy.
1: Well, you, you know, I, the Grizzlies, that's going to be tough because I agree they, they are nothing without John ja Morant. They kind of struggle um, hardcore and one of the guys that works for me he um, he also listens to the pod occasionally big Memphis guy and he brought it up the other day he was like man jobbing her that's that's gonna hurt us and I I really do think that you know you might be talking the right direction whenever you say they might start moving some players around trying to get something else going um, one thing NBA I do want to talk about I saw that was really cool is it seemed like Dame had his first Dame moment with the Bucs he's one of those players that's going to have a couple of those a year you know, like just those moments where you're just like, man, beats the buzzer deep three, you know, he's just a Dame dollar moment, Dame time, you know? Yeah. And I think it was kind of cool seeing his first one with Giannis uh, in Milwaukee.
0: So uh, since we actually last recorded as well, uh, some of the all-star returns have come back. So a lot of the voting that's taken place uh, and just to give a, Brief overview of where the voting stands right now and what we're likely going to end up with as far as the starters go Uh, right now. I mean, obviously, LeBron James is the leading vote getter in the front court for the West. Like surprise, surprise, followed by Jokic, Durant, Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard, who is having a bit of a resurgent season here with the Clippers. And then, uh, you know, past that, we'll, we'll see. Those are probably going to be reserve guys. Like and Shingun is sixth in the front court voting, which is pretty cool because he's a young player. Probably not a lot of mainstream NBA fans or casual NBA fans have any idea who he is, but he is an awesome four for the Houston Rockets, who is super crafty, super versatile. Uh, yeah, I mean, just great playmaker. I I would tune into a Rockets game the next time you have a chance and watch him if you haven't already. Um, and then you got guys like, you know, Chet and Cat, Paul George. Uh, and then like guard-wise, you have Luka, Steph Curry, SGA obviously is up there now, now that he's MVP caliber player at this point. And then in the East, you got, you know, Giannis, and B Tatum, Jimmy B, Jalen Brown, Kristaps, uh, even though he's missed some games, is up there for All-Star. And then guards, I mean, the first vote-getter is Tyrese Halliburton, which is really cool to see because I think that – He's finally getting the flowers he's deserved, uh, you know, with Indiana being a competitive team. Despite now he is hurt, but Indiana is kind of staying afloat and still performing well without him. So hopefully they can continue to do that until he gets back. And then you got Trey Young, Dame, Diamond Mitchell, and then Tyrese Maxey. So are there any names that surprise you there that I just listed off that are some of the leading vote getters for the all-star votes?
1: um I mean whenever you said operan you know sangoon and I I think you're making a good point there's a lot of people don't know who that is and I only really know who that is because of sports cards so right and, but but that's what's fun about that hobby too is because you see these guys and you're like man I've opened 12 Operin sangoons in the past week you know and then yeah. you see him like kind of do well and I I had the same thing happen with like shy shy uh Gilgis, Gilgis Yeah, like I had a lot of cards from him, and I was like, man, this guy just, you know, can't get it together. And then boom, last year had a really good year, and a lot of his stuff went up in value. And it's just cool to be seeing names like that. But other than that, I mean, you know, you're going to see your – you've already said the list of names. You know, you're going to see your guys that we just went over. Tyreek's Maxi is another one that's cool that's that's coming up, too. He's one of my favorite young players in the league right now. So it's cool seeing his name on the list.
0: We'll go ahead and move into our wild card review. And we'll start with the NFC and what, what other game are we going to start with than, um your very own therapy session here? So I'm going to just let you vent all you need to about this one, Parker, the uh, green Bay Packers defeat the Dallas Cowboys 48 to 32.
1: Well, you know, like y'all said in the family group chat, welcome to the off season. Uh, the off season sucks. And it, it sucks even more whenever you go out like this. And it 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 really just hurts because the last three years have just been a joke. They they've been an absolute joke. Like we play San Fran, um, not last year but the year before we play San Fran and Dak Prescott runs the ball for 11 yards as our last play of the game because we couldn't get a snap off after that. Um, the next year we put Ezekiel Elliott at center and spread everybody out and have an eight yard slant route to end our, our season um, against San Fran again in the playoffs. And then this year we come out and we are down 27-0 to in the first half against uh, Green Bay. Obviously, we scored a touchdown in the last two seconds of the first half. But before the last two seconds, we were down 27 nothing through a whole half of football. And there's just a lot of questions and a lot of frustration from a lot of Dallas Cowboys fans and me being one of them. So I'm going to go ahead and kind of bounce this to you uh, off these little marks I've made here. Uh, Mike McCarthy. I, I believe he just found his one way ticket to the couch. Do you believe? Oh, he's,
0: he's out, dude. There's no way. I don't think there's any world. He'll be, he'll be like an offensive assistant somewhere, like a, like a co-offensive coordinator. Somebody is going to hire him because he's just one of those coaching entities that's been around for a while. Um, I don't know that he'd get another head coaching job right away. Uh, I, I doubt it, but I, I think that he's definitely out of there. I don't think there's a world where you can keep him after this.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's he's got to go. So the Cowboys have a big question mark there. And there's another question mark a lot of people are talking about. I'm on the fence about it. Honestly, I'm right there in the middle, um, but it's Dak Prescott.
0: Yeah, and, I, you know – I, I never thought we'd get to this point because of the way that he played in the regular season. I, I mean, he was a borderline MVP candidate. I mean, well, I should say MVP candidate, but he it was never really a serious thought that he would probably win the MVP this year. But he was in contention, right?
1: He was and, in contention uh, as like it was either him or Purdy for about two or three weeks late in the season.
0: Right. So, I, I mean, the thing is that with Dak, you, you have to pay him again which is the problem because you've already paid him one of the his his second contract. He's nearing towards the end of that. So what the Cowboys are having to do now is figure out how long of a commitment they're willing to make to Dak Prescott. And it it's very clear that the way that Dak plays towards the end of the season, and it, it may not be totally his fault, but uh, I mean, there have been some situations where it's on him, whereas in other situations it's not really – something that I would blame him for. I mean, like, you know, last year's San Francisco 49ers game, we talked about it and there were very clear moments where Dak did not live up to it and made some brutal mistakes uh, towards the end. And and not, not all of them are his fault, but there are some cases where it is. And I think that those are the moments that somebody like Jerry Jones, I mean, he's still alive. So his mentality behind running this team is not going to change. And I think that, while there is some kind of loyalty to Dak, there is no success, uh, you know, even to reaching a Super Bowl at this point, that is going to, I guess, keep him loyal to Dak Prescott, I think, at this point. I'm not saying that they're going to move on from him after this after this year, but I think that after this year, I, I do think it could be in question if we get the same result or type of result that we got this year, that, that there may be a new quarterback in Dallas in 2025.
1: Yeah, and... You know, I'm right on the fence, dude. Like I said, to start it off, like I'm right there. Um, I I think I'll be content if we keep Dak Prescott. The thing is, is that I don't want to commit to him for more than a couple more years. You know, give him a two-year contract and we got to pay him. I know we had a great season, but if you're not winning in the playoffs, then none of that matters. Yeah. Um, I think we pay him a lot less than what we are already paying him. And what your what 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 your pitch to Dak has to be is Dak, if you really if you actually want to win a Super Bowl, if the money is not that big of a deal to you, we'll still pay you well. But we have to pay everybody else around you because this roster is really talented. And I'll I'll even mention that we were missing our well, potentially coming into the season, he was our, our number one corner um right. on defense. So what you do is you kind of gotta tell Dak, like, hey man, if you really want to keep this defense strong, if you really want to keep your offense where it's at, uh, you know, with CD lamb and then Micah Parsons on the other side of the ball and a lot of other names that we have to pay. Um, you kind of got to come to Dak and say, Hey man, if, I, I think this, this roster probably could really win a Super Bowl. Um, it's just, you, you got to make less money to keep all these guys around you and you can't lay an egg in a big game, which is why they're not going to pay you more. You know, yeah. so it, it goes both ways.
0: Yeah. I mean, and, I know that it's going to start to the cap is really going to start to come into play with this whole Dallas Cowboys roster. And I I guess going on to the coaching staff, I mean, Dan Quinn, I think we already kind of touched on. I think he's going on to greener pastures. I really do think he's probably going to end up taking that Seattle job. If not the Seattle job, I think that he might be a good fit for the Chargers if, you know, maybe if they don't get Harbaugh. I, I think he would go for something like that. I'm not sure what you would think, but that's what I would suggest.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's what I suggest too, but there's another thing like when it comes to the Dallas Cowboys and I strongly believe it. Like I don't think Jerry Jones will see another Dallas Cowboys Super Bowl.
0: No, I think uh, that there is a, there's a certain mindset between the b- behind the way that he is running the team that is hampering. The, I mean, I, I'm not necessarily the Cowboys expert here by any means, but this is just what I think there's a track record of. And I think that there's nothing that's going to change until some kind of mentality behind the way that not necessarily the roster structure, the roster roster is good, but I think that like the coaching hires that have been made have not been the most optimal choices. I mean, even when Mike McCarthy was hired, I did not see it as a home run
1: choice. No. and, And I didn't either. I was kind of excited when he got hired because I was like, Oh, this could be interesting. You know, it's like, Oh, it's not a boring move, but I wasn't in love with it. And another thing about Jerry Jones, that just drives me nuts is, When it comes to a year like this and you have players like Derrick Henry, Shaq Leonard, you have all these guys that are, that are, you know, available to be traded for. And you see the teams like the Eagles go and pick up Shaq Leonard. And then you have teams like last year, like the Niners, went and got Christian McCaffrey. The last time the Cowboys have made a trade like that, that I can like, like honestly say was like, that was an awesome trade is Amari Cooper. And he was good for the Cowboys and he was an exciting, exciting signing. Other than that, like I haven't been really excited about the Cowboys getting a player from a trade or or going out in a free agency, picking somebody up. We are terrible about drafting players. Jerry falls in love with them, and then we pay them, and they don't pan out because we could have went and got a different guy. That's why the Eagles are – I mean, the Eagles just lost this week, which we'll get to, but that's why the Eagles roster is so talented. That's why Sam Fran's roster is so talented. A lot of these guys, they didn't draft. Like a lot of yeah. these guys, they go out and get the piece they need. And the Cowboys are terrible about doing that.
0: Yeah. That's kind of, that's kind of what I mean. Like with the way that Jerry runs the team is he's very big on like remaining loyal to players that he drafted, you know, or that his brass drafted and not really seeking out any other personnel outside of that, which that's kind of seemed like maybe his downfall over these years, but uh, moving on to the green Bay side of things at Jordan love, I would say that if it weren't for C.J. Stroud, we would probably be talking about Jordan Love the same way we talk about C.J. Stroud.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's awesome seeing two young guys do their thing. Um, Jordan Love, now a lot lot of people are already comparing him to Aaron Rodgers, I'd slow your role, considering Aaron Rodgers is questionably one of the best talents we've seen as far as an arm and having the whole package, you know, as a quarterback, uh, making it matter when it counts, you know, down to crunch time plays, and probably one of the most clutch players the NFL's ever seen at quarterback, um, in my opinion. But he is really good. And I really do think he could be the next guy for Green Bay for the next little while. Um, he's making a good first impression this first year. Next year's going to be a little different because I, I know their roster. Like they have a lot of young receivers right now, and they're going to have to pay those eventually. Um, but he's doing well with what he's got. And Green Bay is kind of playing with a new team considering all these young receivers they have uh the young quarterback obviously aaron jones is still there but he's kind of on his way to being a you know probably close to being either on a different team or being a second second hand running back rather than taking uh the first role but um, i mean green bay looked good i'm excited to see them play against this niners team uh next week as well
0: yeah and and, i mean great coaching job i'm Matt LaFleur here. I think that there's a possibility that he might be up for coach of the year after this. Uh, I know that coach of the year is supposed to be a regular season award, but I think that we'd be lying to ourselves if things like this don't get taken into account where he takes a team that was, that is so young that had almost no expectations of making the postseason, and they win a playoff game and a way playoff game at that. So uh, kudos to the green Bay Packers as much as I hate to say it. Uh, But moving on to probably the, like, like we said, the biggest uh, game as far as storylines go, we had Matthew Stafford and the Los Angeles Rams traveling to Detroit and they take a loss at the hands of the lions, 23 to 24 in what uh, was the best playoff game of the week.
1: So. Yeah. I mean, uh, I have it written right there. Game of the week as predicted Um, this win is huge for the city of Detroit. This win is huge for the lions and this win is huge for Jared Goff because i think this win knowing that they're about to play Tampa Bay um instead of Dallas is probably a big you know a, a big weight off their shoulders um going into this week now i'm not discounting Tampa Bay whatsoever but if the Cowboys win against Green Bay and get a little bit of confidence under them i think that game in Detroit is a way different game than what it's about to be with Tampa Bay there um but, you know, they still have to come out and perform. Good job by um, Jared Goff getting that win. Good job with all the rookies, too. I mean, they ran the ball well. Um, and then the other side of the ball, dude, Puka Nakua, breaking uh, receiving records for rookies. Um, he had, what, the most most receiving yards uh, by a rookie in the playoffs? Correct. 100, 184 yards. Really good outing by him. And it sucks for the Rams, man, because they, they actually were a really good team. I think if they play Dallas or if they play – if they play any other team besides the Lions in that first round, I think they're onto the second round.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think I agree with you. And um, on the Rams side of things, I think what's going to be most interesting to see after this is how they build the team because it, they do have an aging quarterback with everybody else on the roster being pretty young. So it'll be interesting to see if they kind of ride Matthew Stafford and try to get squeeze out another two, maybe three. I have no idea how long he has left, but it's definitely coming towards the end of his lifetime as an NFL quarterback. And like I said, I I wonder if they try to, you know, go into a succession plan mode mm-hmm. and maybe try to, you know, plan for the future in that way. Or if they just kind of go not, not necessarily the same way, but kind of go all in on this, this young group and start to kind of build around the young players by, you know, bringing in some free agents and maybe even, you know, trading for some, Uh, positions of need, things of that nature, it'll be very interesting to see what they do going forward, or if they continue to just build through the draft and, you know, start young again and continue to try and build this momentum as a competitive rebuild. And then going, but on the Detroit side, I mean, I think this is a huge win for Jared Goff and his history as a quarterback. I think that there was a lot of people who were saying that if he lost this game, that you're not sure what you do at quarterback in Detroit after that.
1: Jared Goff had a good year, and he had a he had a really good reign on his offense this year. um I don't I think if Detroit loses that game, I don't really look to Jared Goff and blame him, you know, like directly. but um, yeah, we already said it, man. great win in Detroit. I think that the Rams, the way they move next year i I, I think if if quarterback comes to be a, a, a question like let's say Stafford retires um it, it would not surprise me if they go and try to pick up another veteran quarterback like Kirk Cousins coming out of Minnesota or something like that just to ride it for another couple of years before they and maybe they can find somebody they really like in a draft um if they don't draft one this year so that's that's my take on that game we can go ahead and move on to this next one uh if you want to get us kicked off here
0: yeah sure yeah uh, next we're going to move into a pretty uninteresting game as a whole I mean the Philadelphia Eagles get demolished by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 32 to nine in Tampa Bay. And, you know, it's funny. Uh, My prediction for this game was that I thought the Eagles would have a bounce back game, but, you know, really all the signs were there. And I think that sometimes despite what we, what we have as far as like expectations for a team and who they were early in the season, um, I, I think it's, this is a lesson more so for me that when we get to this point in the season, Whatever you've seen over the past like six-ish weeks of a team, just trust that and trust what your eyes are seeing, as opposed to giving teams the benefit of the doubt. Because this was very much a situation where this has been a Philadelphia team that has had a huge collapse over the second half of the season, and we had no, there was really no reason to have any confidence in picking them. And not saying that I had confidence, but I thought they would win this game because I gave the benefit of the doubt, which I don't think I should have done.
1: Yeah. See, I, this is, this is one thing that I will say about my week is that it really made me go not seeing the Eagles lose to the bucks because I was that, that kind of softens the blow for me as a Cowboys fan, seeing the, the, the Eagles come out and do the same thing essentially as the Cowboys do and just lay an egg against uh Tampa Bay. And I don't know. I kind of see Baker Mayfield and Jordan Love kind of being like the same level of quarterback too, that you're losing to as far, you know, Jordan loves had a really good last, you know, eight, nine weeks Um, since week eight. He, I think he's thrown one interception and 26 touchdowns, which is really impressive, but I kind of put them on the same level still. So seeing the Eagles lose to them is really what kind of made my week a little bit better than um, rather than me just being completely down. But my question about the Eagles is, like, everyone's kind of like, oh, man, I'm so ready to get rid of Nick Sirianni. What, what do you think about that?
0: Chill out with it, dude. The roster right? is the like problem. That, they, they have no freaking linebackers. And the – I mean, the secondary ha- has taken a huge drop-off. We talked about it a ton. I, I think that those people who are wanting Sirianni out, even like Eagles fans, just relax, please.
1: I mean, he got you to a Super Bowl, and then he just took you to the playoffs after losing the last five games of the season,
0: without your best offensive weapon outside Jalen Hurts.
1: Yeah, right. Exactly. So it's they were fighting injuries kind of all year long, and and I will say their defensive backs were struggling all year. Their defensive yeah. backs, their secondary was injured all year long. Yeah. But it is a question yeah. whenever you go ten and one and you lose in the first round of the playoffs.
0: Right. And, but the thing is, like you, you said something big there, health, like health is one of the main reasons why they were able to get to the Super Bowl last year. They just were one of the healthier teams in the NFL. And typically that's like a big factor in who makes it. And yeah, absolutely. they just they just weren't this year. They weren't as healthy as they have been. So uh, and but on the Buck side of it, I mean, great game by Baker Mayfield. I, I think that, you know, I, I definitely could have seen this happening for him where he has this kind of game against the Eagles secondary I think it was just a matter of I kind of needed to see it to believe it, to believe he could do it in a playoff setting. And, I, I, I mean, other than that, I think I would give kudos to the the Tampa Bay defense. They really stepped up in this one, even even though, like I said, the Eagles were without A.J. Brown, so they were a bit hampered. But I still think that the performance that the Bucs had on the defensive side of the ball, I mean, s- solid showing from them. I, the only other thing I'll say about the Bucks and specifically Baker, is that He's on this one year deal for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, right? And I I really wonder what kind of commitment because they're going to play the Lions, which I'm not saying that they can't win that game. I think that that's actually going to be a really interesting game to watch this next week. But what I wonder is regardless of the result of that game, I think that they're kind of painted into a corner where they almost have to commit to Baker at this point. Like I don't yeah. I don't know if you can draft a guy and keep Baker on a short-term deal. I don't think that Baker would do that.
1: Yeah, I, I think for Baker, if he can win this game, because you gotta remember Baker and Lamar Jackson are the same age. Like they're both Jeff in 2018. Um, same with Josh Allen. So he's still got a lot of football left in him. It's not like he's just some washed up guy, you know. And and I think I, he's I,
0: one, I think he's one year older because he was a he was a senior when he came out, but point still stands. He's still young. But,
1: but drafted in 2018, they have the same amount of NFL experience. Um, i I think that he could be an answer in Tampa Bay for the next three years if if it works out in this playoff run. Now, I don't want to hold on just to this playoff run because if he goes into next year and it just all goes out the window, then there's you know then there's a toss up. But I think if he can get a win against Detroit, I I think he could be an answer there.
0: Like, do you think that for just theoretically speaking, like, would you give Baker Mayfield? the Daniel Jones contract where he's like probably like a tier. Like if you're looking at the quarterback contracts, you have like the Mahomes tier and like the, you know, the Herbert tier, the burrow tier. And then below that you have like the Dak tier and, you know, and then below that is where you get to Daniel Jones. Would you pay him right below those guys? Or do you think that's too rich?
1: I think it's too rich. I mean, Daniel Jones got a lot more money than I expected Daniel Jones to get Um, in my opinion. But I, I think it's a little too rich for me. I, I think the NFL's got to kind of chill out on I know you're a quarterback for an N, for an NFL team, but if you're not one of the top five, top six guys, like you don't deserve top five, top six pay. You know, that's yeah. just how it works. Yeah. And you,
0: like if would you pay him as like a QB fifteen then? Like what in that tier of QBs, or you still yeah, think that's yeah. too high?
1: Yeah, I would pay him in QB. I would pay him QB 15 money. I could name Okay. Him, I could name probably 15 other quarterbacks that I'd rather pay that I would pay less than Baker Mayfield.
0: Okay. All right. That's fine. And we can go ahead and move to the next game. Uh, really. We're going to shift to conferences completely. We're going to go to AFC and we'll talk about the Kansas City chiefs getting the pretty like, I, I don't want to say dominant, but it was pretty handedly uh, decided 26 to seven getting a win against the Miami dolphins and arrowhead uh, freezing cold game as everybody has already talked about, but Really, you say playoff Patty is back on this dock, and I don't know if I would, like, totally agree with that. I think he had an okay game. I think that they got – I think that if you look at the box score, you're probably going to be, like, not super impressed. But, I mean, they did move the ball and get into field goal range. I think they still had some red zone issues. But aside from that, I think they played pretty well as the team.
1: The wind was howling. It was negative 27 degrees. And Patrick Mahomes, I saw him five different occasions, two of them being Travis Kelsey, one of them supposed to was gonna be a touchdown, drop balls. Like Patrick Mahomes was doing his thing in 20 negative 27 degree weather. And that's where I kind of get his patties back. And another thing is that Patrick Mahomes coming into the playoffs, it starts with him as far as the team's energy. You know, when Patrick Mahomes was was mad throwing his helmet. Um, talking about the refs, the whole team's morale was down. Patrick Mahomes coming in the way he did this week, beating Miami, which we'll talk about the other side of the ball too here in just a second. He controlled the game. Uh, They ran the ball well. Uh, When they needed to throw the ball, it, it, it was usually on on the mark except for the first drive. The first drive, I know the wind was kind of messing everything up, but other than that, I mean, I, I, think, I think this Kansas City team looks good, and I'm You can never count him out. I mean, I I see them having a chance of going all the way if they play the way they played the other night against Miami.
0: Yeah, I I think that they – the one thing that they did that I think that they haven't done as much is they really relied on the run game in this game, and it panned out. I mean, Isaiah Pacheco may have not had the most efficient game, but really that's what allowed them to control this game entirely. Uh, I, I mean, it seemed like Miami could never get in a rhythm offensively And I mean, kudos to the Kansas City defense for, you know, playing as well as they have really all season. Uh, I mean, guys like, you know, Raheem Mostert didn't really ever get going on the ground. I mean, even Devon Chain didn't really they had Jalen Waddle back as well. And I mean, they outside of Tyreek Hill, they kind of let Tyreek Hill get some of his. But even Tyreek was just not it. I mean, really, this this is more so something I want to talk about. I want to really talk about like where we go with Tua from here. Because the he has not gotten the the extension contract yet. And the Dolphins now have to make a choice whether they are going to move forward with Tua and extend him. Or if they are going to, you know, possibly go the op you know the fifth year option route, or maybe not option route, but franchise route. And maybe try and buy some time to figure out if they want to extend him.
1: I think you extend Tua. I think really I think, okay. Yeah. I think to as a – I mean, he's got talent, you know, and he's got talent around him. Another thing I will say about this playoff game specifically, like I know we've seen it throughout this year, but this playoff game specifically, like they were missing – what was it, six defensive players? I think it was, or seven defensive players, and like five of them were starters. So, I mean, what, Javon Holland, Bradley Chubb, uh, Jalen Phillips –
0: yeah, I, I mean, we talked about how the defense was pretty depleted going into this game. Anyways. Yeah,
1: and, and I think that's a big deal, too. Anyways, besides the point, man, um, Miami does need a little work. I don't know exactly what it is, um, but let's go ahead and talk about this next one because it has got everybody excited.
0: Yeah, the team that has taken the you know the league by storm, if you will, as far as the shocker of the season, uh, the Houston Texans defeat the Cleveland Browns 45-14. to 14. Joe Flacco, the, the Magics kind of ran out a little bit. You know, I, I kudos to him for kind of having a comeback season when not anybody expected it, especially after Deshaun Watson was, you know, ruled out for the season. I don't think many people included the Browns as a playoff team, and he kept them in that playoff race. So kudos to him. But, man, this was just a dominant game by the Texans. And C.J. Straub, more than anybody else, uh, deserves – all the attention that he's getting. I mean, he had a, I don't want to say perfect, but it seemed like a pretty clean passing performance. I, I didn't see anything that he did wrong. He's so polished already such at such a young age that it makes me wonder kind of where we go from here. It almost makes me feel like we, we might be in like Andrew Luck territory with CJ where Andrew Luck single-handedly Carried the young Indianapolis Colts to not as a rookie, but I think as a sophomore, it was he carried the Colts to a playoff uh, appearance, and they end up losing the playoff game. But he almost did it single handedly, and this has kind of given me that same feeling where CJ Stroud just looks like a possible MVP candidate, and he's a rookie.
1: Well, the thing about CJ Stroud that's that's got me, you know, and it, it is. It's not that it's all him. It just starts with him. Kind of like the same thing I said about Patrick Mahomes and the energy for the Kansas City Chiefs, but it's not the energy that, that gets it started. It's like the, um, how do I say this? The composure of mm-hmm. the team, you know, all these guys are so young. Uh, you got Nico Collins. Tank Dell was a big part of this season. Uh, he's not playing obviously, but he was a big part of how they got there um, all year long. And then you have, I mean, Devin Singletary is older guy playing in the backfield. Back to where we started the conversation, I think it's the composure of him that I really like. He he's in the pocket. He's not too antsy to get out of the pocket, but when he does get out of the pocket, he seems to be successful, and he doesn't turn the ball over, which I love out of a quarterback. Um, it, if you keep the ball in your hands, you know, and end every drive with a punt, it's or not a punt, but with a kick, whether it's an extra point, in field goal, or a punt, um, it usually comes out with cleaner results so that's what i like out of cj Stroud. i think he's doing a great job back to the coaching coach of the year conversation though i want to bring in D'Amico ryan's into this conversation over matt lafleur i just think D'Amico, it being his first year as a head coach and taking a team that didn't even have where they have three wins last year and coming in with a rookie quarterback a whole like the roster is completely different um coming in this year and just taking this team to a playoff win over a team that Everyone was talking about as far as the Browns go. Um, every I don't think there were very many people on the Texans in this game. So good good job by him. And the Browns defense really struggled as well. CJ Stroud kind of made the Browns defense look really bad. Um Greg Newsom looked god awful this game, and he's known to be one of the best corners in the league. So all I want to say is good job, Texans. Browns fell a little short. Um, they'll get back at it next year uh with hopefully less injuries and less problems at the quarterback position. But Let's go ahead and move into this one that everyone expected to be a snore. And it it, it was actually a lot closer than it looked for most of the game.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, we knew that weather was going to be a factor in this last one. But the uh, Buffalo Bills beat the Pittsburgh Steelers 31-17. to 17. And I, I, like, I, I think that this was the expected outcome. I don't think we really expected the Steelers to keep it close in any kind of regard. Uh, I know that I took them to cover, but that was honestly with me expecting much worse weather and they had to move the game. So the weather was better than, yeah, the weather was better than what they had anticipated because they moved the game. So, you know, but I mean, kudos, I I will say Josh Allen looks like he is playing good football at the right time. Uh, He has four total touchdowns in this game. And one, one of which was a long rushing touchdown that he had. Uh, And I mean, Other than that, I mean, I don't really have any other takeaways aside from that. It's nice to see them get Don Kincaid so involved as he has been kind of ramping up over the second half of the season as one of his favorite targets. Josh Allen's that is. And even guys like, I mean, Khalil Shakir uh, showing up in a key moment in the postseason is nice to see because really what we haven't seen in the postseason for Josh Allen is him having those secondary options outside of Stephon Diggs to go to in key moments.
1: Yeah, it is really nice seeing those names um, really show up uh, when it matters. And Josh Allen's playing really good football. On the Steelers side, uh, I put there, I think they hit their ceiling for the season. I think this was like the most you really could have asked of them at the start of the season. So looking back on it, good season from the Steelers, make the playoffs, come up short in a competitive playoff game. Um, And they honestly just lost to a better team. So you can't really complain as a Steelers fan nor uh, if you're part of the Steelers organization. So good for them.
0: That's all we have for the wildcard round. Do you want to go ahead and get into our divisional round?
1: Yeah, man, let's go ahead and get into this divisional preview. We have the top eight teams in the NFL ready to match up this week, and we're going to start with the NFC, and we're going to go with the one seed. We're going to start with San Francisco, who will be hosting the seven seed Green Bay Packers, um, and they have San Fran minus 10 points.
0: Yeah, and that's come down a little bit to nine and a half, it looks like, off of the, you know, exact number of ten. And, you know, I as much as this Green Bay team is a great story, uh, I think this is a bit of like, you know, the the master teacher complex between the Kyle Shanahan and Matt LaFleur. I, I always lean towards the master side of this. It's very rare that we see the understudy kind of come out on top in these situations. Um, I I think that it's going to be a very interesting game. Nonetheless, Uh, I just the one thing I worry about is the front four, which I know that Jordan Love just went up against the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, But I do worry about the front seven of the San Francisco 49ers going up against these Green Bay Packers, because I I think that the one thing that the Cowboys don't have, you can attest to this, is interior defensive linemen and linebackers. And, and I can tell you for a fact that that's what San Fran has. And I, I think that it's going to impact the Green Bay Packers run game. I think it's going to take away a lot of what they like to do in that regard. And it's going it's to force Jordan Love to have to make some really, really you know, key throws and really expect to be passing at a higher volume if he ask me to, for them to stay in this game. So I'm going to go with San Francisco. Uh, I'll, I'll take the minus 10, but I would definitely be more comfortable at the minus, minus 9.5 that it's moved to now.
1: Yeah, I, I think I'm going to take San Fran to win this one. Um, I think Green Bay looked really good in their first game, but I do think that you're right when it comes to interior defensive linemen and linebackers. Um, San Fran has the best in the game when it comes to that part of the field, and I see them shutting down uh, Aaron Jones quite a bit more than the Dallas Cowboys could have, which is really what got the offense rolling last week anyways. So uh, give me Sam Fran by two touchdowns.
0: All right, and, and you want to go ahead and move on to this yeah, next game?
1: Yeah, man, we can go ahead and get right into it. In the other side, other game in the NFC, we have Tampa Bay going to Detroit, both coming off nice wins. Um, Detroit is minus six.
0: This is a really, really interesting one because, I, I mean, as much as I love the Detroit story, I, I, I really think that Tampa has a chance to win this game. The one thing that Detroit – was successful at and really, really was able to capitalize on in that Rams game was taking advantage of the secondary of the LA Rams. And I I think with, you know, Jamel Dean and with Anton Winfield, I think that the secondary for the Tampa Bay Bucks is not necessarily all-star caliber, but it's better than what the Rams had in the secondary. Um, I I do think that there's going to be probably the same amount of pressure to deal with uh, for the Bucks uh, as far as Jared Goff goes, but I I think I would probably lean towards Tampa Bay covering that six.
1: Yeah, I think this is going to be a really good game as well. I think Tampa Bay is kind of under under credit or discredited here a little bit, but Detroit played really good. I don't, it's really tough for me because I think Tampa Bay and the Rams kind of have the same firing power on offense. So I'd be really interested to see what this Tampa Bay offense can do against this Detroit defense. I'm I'm going to take Detroit to win this game. Uh, Tampa Bay may or may not cover the six. Um, let's go ahead and move into the AFC. Look at the other side of this playoff picture. And we have the Texans with, um, CJ Stroud that we just talked about. talked really highly of is going to the Baltimore Ravens who are the one seed and had a buy last week and Baltimore's favored by eight and a half points.
0: You know, what's kind of interesting about this is these two teams played in week one. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember that game and it was a lot closer than I think people realized. this was before we realized the Texans were going to be as good as they are. Right. This is and, when
1: everyone was like, oh, crap.
0: Yeah, this was this was the game where uh, people were worried about the Ravens more than they were, oh, the Texans might be good. Um, And, and I actually think that the Ravens, I, I really think that they can probably win this by 10. And there was some news that came out this past week that we did not mention in the news segment that I think is the reason for that. And that is that Mark Andrews is back at practice. So, because Mark Andrews is back, I think that that is going to create a lot of problems for the Texans linebackers and the secondary because I think what they're going to try and do is they're probably going to use both him and Isaiah Likely at the same time and create a lot of mismatches. And I think that that could be – really as much as I like what the Texans defense looks like, the the young pieces that they have between Stingley and Jalen Petrie and Will Anderson, I, I really do think that if you're going to attack anywhere, you have to attack them in the middle of the field and that that's that's what i think the ravens can do best is really scheme up a way to get not only the running game going but you know open up those middle of the field passes to their tight ends and i think that's why i would probably lean on the ravens heavy in this game
1: yes you make a you make a great point um who do i want to see win this game the houston texans who do i think will win this game the baltimore ravens but I'm going to call you crazy if you don't think that D'Amico Ryan has put together a game plan for Lamar Jackson after seeing how they played him in week one.
0: Yeah. I oh, mean, absolutely. There, there know, is a his, sense his, of an advantage to having played the guy already. Right. Once. right.
1: And, and, and him being, I mean, this is the first time he's played Lamar as a head coach too. And he comes from one of those NFC teams. Like we've talked about Lamar against NFC teams. Lamar uh, absolutely destroys the NFC every time he plays, uh, plays against them. So I, I think, him coming to the AFC and seeing Lamar with what he's already got now with his team he has now and probably thinks like, Oh, we're a much better team now than we were then. So he knows exactly what he has. He knows exactly what he's going to need to, to try and stop Lamar Jackson. But I do think the Ravens do get a win here. I just think it's now a 25 to nine. I think it's more of like a, I think it's more of like a 27, 24 type game, you know, really close. So um, that wouldn't shock me at all.
0: Because yeah, the first it, time they played was
1: close to so. Uh it was decently close, 25 to 9, but it was nine to sixteen before that. So it was decently close for most of the game. But um, or I'm sorry, eighteen. Let's go ahead and get moving on to this next game, which I have as the game of the week, um, as most people would. It is the Kansas City Chiefs going to Buffalo to play the Bills, and the Bills are favored by two and a half points.
0: As far as storylines go, this is absolutely the game of the week. This because, is a classic.
1: Classic.
0: Which this is our, you know, we. it's been said a Nazeem, this is our version of Brady Manning, you or one of them at least, and it's Alan Mahomes. And I, that's all you kind of need to say in order to get anybody to have an interest in watching the game, is that these two guys are going up against each other, two of the, I would say, cornerstone faces of the NFL, uh, two of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, both – happened to be in the AFC. And this is, I believe what the third time they're facing each other in the playoffs.
1: Yes. Third time they're facing each other in the playoffs. I think this is their fifth or sixth matchup since they've both been playing quarterback.
0: Yeah. And I think that the Buffalo bills being favored minus two and a half is just, I mean, and they pretty much think it's a coin flip because I think that two and a half is attributed to the being the home advantage, which I would say for the bills is probably a, a fair point value because home field advantage hasn't been as prevalent as it has been in the past, but there are certain places where it is. And I think Buffalo is one of them. I think you would agree. The, The thing, the thing that I would worry about, and I don't think that Pittsburgh is a good example of this because the bills were able to not really allow anything in the run game to Pittsburgh, but I don't see that as a good example of, of, you know, what the bills did well in the wild card round you know carrying over so as we stated in the game against the Miami Dolphins what the key to winning that game was was Isaiah Pacheco being able to be an effective rusher even if it wasn't the most efficient it was still very effective and helped with ball control and helped them just maintain the the, the lead and never allow the Miami Dolphins to get into a rhythm and i think that with the bills i think that the key for them is going to be because this is not the same kind of Chiefs team that this Bills team is used to facing in the playoffs. It's not as explosive. And I think that there's going to be a different flow to this game than we are used to. And I wonder if it's going to be a – I really do wonder if it's going to be like a 17 to 14 final score.
1: You, you know, I'm right there with you. I'm actually smashing the under on this game. Um, yeah, me too. It's at, at 46.5, and I really do think it's going to be a little lower scoring. I also, I mean, yeah, like you said about this um, Chiefs team, like they're going to run the ball a lot more than they used to. Um, They used to throw the ball. uh, I mean, when they had that kind of talent, you know, the Tyreek Hill and you have with Travis Kelsey, with, you know, everything that Patrick Mahomes has had. I I think that they're going to run the ball a lot. They're going to try to control the game. And I also think the Bills are on the same vibe. Like the Bills are winning when running the football. So I think we're going to see a lot of ground and pound football uh, in this game, but I actually like the Chiefs to win this football game. Um, I think it just being Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. I honestly I, I like the coaching matchup a lot better than the court, like the quarterback matchups kind of even for me, but give me Andy Reid over Sean McDermott um, in this one.
0: I, I think I actually am leaning Chiefs too, and it's not necessarily because of the same reason as you. The the reason I think I lean Chiefs is because I, I think that offensively I, I while the Bills have better pass catchers, I still I I mean there's been a history of you know lack of reliance at the wide receiver position outside of Stephon Diggs for the Bills. And in my eyes, I, I think that the Chiefs secondary has a, a pretty, I don't want to say it's underrated because I think it's been talked about, but like between Legereus Sneed and Trick McDuffie, I think that they have two very good corners on that team. And I think that to me, it's more about whose front seven is going to be the better front seven in this game. And mostly in relation to stopping the run. And I think that I would probably give the edge to the Chiefs in that department. I just think that their defense as a whole, including the secondary, but as a whole is just, I mean, just flat out better than the bills at this point in the season.
1: Yeah, I I agree. I I like, I like every point you made there. And I just like this. I just feel like it's, it's chiefs playoff time, man. It's it's playoff time. It's the chiefs. And it's more than likely going to be chiefs Ravens. And that's going to be an awesome game. Um, I would love to see it something different. I'd love to see the Texans try to do something. I'd love to see the Bills try to do something. But, I mean, it's Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs. That's all we have for our divisional round preview. Let's go ahead and move into betting bros.
0: Currently, the standings are that I'm up $542.88, and Parker is down $899.50. We both went one for three last week, and we are approaching the finish line. We really only have... This next week, championship week, and then we got the Super Bowl. So you got three weeks to try and make up a, you know, 1300-ish gap. I'm not sure if you're going to be able to do it, but you're at least going to have a chance with the way that the last two weeks are going to go. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and give my picks for this week, and I'm going to go with the Baltimore Ravens minus 8.5, minus 115. I already talked about why I think they have an advantage uh, offensively against this Texas defense, uh, despite this Texans... Team being a really great story, I do think that the Baltimore Ravens could show that they are really the force to be reckoned with in the AFC this year. Uh, Next, I actually have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, plus six, minus 110. I I, I think that they are actually live in this game. If I were really frisky, I would probably take the money line, but I'm not going to. I'm just going to take them against the spread. And then I am going to put my lock as something that we both love, uh, supposedly. And that is the Kansas City Chiefs and Buffalo Bills game under 46 and a half at minus
1: 118.
0: Like I said, I think that defense is going to be king in that game on both sides of the ball. I think that the run games are going to be really prevalent. And I think that we're going to not get as many points as we're probably used to seeing in these matchups.
1: Yeah, I love that under. I just can't take that because I actually have some ground to make up. So I got to do what I got to do to try to gain as much as possible. Um, So let's go ahead and get started with mine. I have... Guys, don't ride any of these bets. These are not my actual picks. These are just catch-up numbers. I gotta really hope these happen to really make up some ground. Um, I have <laughs> yeah. Houston, Houston money line at plus two ninety-five over the Baltimore Ravens. Um, come on, CJ, do it one more time for me. Um, Tampa Bay money line at Detroit at plus two twenty. <laughs> Given that a go come on baker i need you one more time as well and then this one i put it my as my lock because this is a bet that i would actually take um kansas city money line plus 124 at buffalo me i mean it's really just a coin flip to me when it comes to this game and i like patrick Mahomes um historically better than i like josh allen in these situations and in these matchups
0: the last two, I actually can't fault you on. I actually, like I said, I thought, I think Tampa Bay money line is actually something I would actually do uh, just because I think that that game is more of a toss up than it's being priced at. And then I mean, Kansas city, I, that's truly a coin flip. I have no, I, like I said, I think it's going to be a three point game like Vegas does. And I have no idea which way. So uh, that Houston is maybe the only one that I would probably say I think is far fetched. But other than that, I mean, I don't have any problem with those, but that's really all we got for our show this week. I appreciate you guys listening. And uh Parker, do you have any parting thoughts? Uh, I mean, you're in one, two, three cancun mode at this point with your Dallas Cowboys. So do you have any parting thoughts now that uh your personal fandom is done for the year?
1: Yeah. Um, I do want to, you know, say a couple things uh before I leave. Um Josh actually texted me at the end of like the first quarter and was like, Are you what jersey are you wearing? <laughs> um, concerned. And I was like, I'm not wearing it. I, I, I texted him back and said, I would never, that was, that was the only three things I said. <laughs> and then it came to like almost halftime. And he texted me back and was like, do you think we try to reverse it? Like, do you put it on to reverse the <laughs> right, the to spell reverse the to jinx, reverse yeah. it? You yeah, had to reverse the jinx, but um, man, you know, it, it was a good season. Uh Another big letdown for me. I have contemplated why I've spent so much time and effort, and money on all these cool shirts and hats and the amount of stuff I have that's Dallas Cowboys is just ridiculous. Um, if I could trade it all, I might at this point. Um, but I am, of course, just going to – I obviously can't do that and I won't do that, so I'm just going to be a miserable fan um, probably the next five, seven years knowing the Cowboys. So here's to, to turning a new leaf, Dallas Cowboys. That's That's all I got.
0: Thank you guys again for listening this week and uh, we will catch you next week. Talk to you then. All right, man. Sounds good. Peace.